I am Chris Klein, Director of Butterfly Ridge Conservation Center in Southeast Ohio, and this is Ridge Notes. Welcome to Ridge Notes. This is Chris Klein, Director of Butterfly Ridge, Butterfly Conservation Center in Southeast Ohio in the beautiful Hawking Hills. And I wanted to welcome you to another broadcast of Ridge Notes. Uh, It's good to be back. Last Saturday, actually, I was up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a bit of a little family reunion with uh, my wife and I and our three children and, and their significant others out visiting Mackinac Island, uh, the family fishing derby in which I won with uh, two whoppers that totaled a length of six inches long, and I got a couple of yummy deer fly bites that about swelled my eyes shut, but hey, it was all worth it to achieve the victory in the fishing derby. Today, I want to kind of do a little bit of a lead up to what will be National Pollinators Week, and that is June 21 through 26, so the last full week of June will be National Pollinators Week. I'm sure some of you probably follow on Facebook and other social media uh, different pollinator-themed groups. I've been noticing something here Fairly recently, among some of these pollinator groups that I'm a part of, I've noticed, number one, a very strong new anti-honeybee sentiment. And uh, I realize that honeybees are exotic invasives uh, brought here for their honey-making abilities. But at the same time, they do, you know, serve certain benefits from a pollinator's perspective beyond just making honey so I'm, I'm not sure if I understand the uh, the hardcore anti-honeybee sentiment that I'm seeing here in the past week or so and then another area within the pollinator community that is always quite controversial and that is the monarch butterfly and the um the controversy behind how, if captive-raised monarchs can migrate and such. Uh, there's been a couple particular scientists and one uh, environmental group who have been raging for decades that captive-raised monarchs are not capable of migrating to Mexico, that they are less fit. Um, and they, those folks even go to the extreme of misrepresenting other people's data to prove it. So there's a new study I just saw actually this morning, a study by Alana Wilcox and Dr. Ryan Norris there at the University of Guelph. And if you've never heard of the University of Guelph, because they don't have a high-powered college football team, um, they are from Ontario, Canada. University of Guelph is in Ontario. And what Wilcox and Norris, what they determined was that captive-reared monarchs are perfectly capable of orienting to a proper migrating direction. That's been one of the things that uh, scientists, certain scientists have been claiming is that monarchs that are captive-raised cannot uh, properly orient to head south to Mexico. And so what Wilcox and Norris did, they actually uh, affixed microchips 
to these monarchs and then monitored their travel. And lo and behold, they, they found monarchs heading the exact direction they were supposed to. So I'm, I'm sure that this study is going to create quite a, quite a hubbub in the uh, monarch pollinator community there. But I think there's one thing that we can all agree upon. Everybody's favorite pollinator, and that is the uh, cute, cuddly, fuzzy little moth. Certainly no controversy there. Everybody loves moths, um, right? Everybody does love moths, right? Actually, here at Butterfly Ridge, we, we think as highly of the moths as we do the, the butterflies. And I've had some folks suggest that we change our names to Moth Ridge, in part because in the last five years, we've documented close to 800 species of moths here at Butterfly Ridge. It is estimated, and I emphasize the word estimate, estimated that there's roughly 14,000 species of moths in North America, many of which have yet to be described. In fact, here at Butterfly Ridge, we have photographed and documented several moths that currently do not have names and do not have scientific descriptions. They are only known by numerical place orders placeholders, excuse me. Um, so if you're a young college student hoping for job security, let me encourage you to go in mi into micro-moth taxonomy. Micro-moths are the tiny little guys. Uh, we have photographed some as small as an eighth of an inch long. Um, the micro-moths, most of the micro-moths are half inch long or less. There are a few that are bigger. But uh, yes, if you're looking for job security, Go back to school, study micro-moth taxonomy, and, and you've got it made. If you want to really see the pollination ability of moths, all you need to do is find yourself a nice big common milkweed patch when it's in full bloom. It should be easy to find. Just follow your nose because common milkweed is very fragrant. And when you reach that common milkweed patch, money-back guarantee it's going to be full of moths. Um, now, the one moths, one, one group of moths that you will not find at the common milkweed patch are the group known as the silk moths. So we're talking luna moths, cecropia moths, uh, polyphemus, promethea, um, the, the, the big guys there, the io moths. Uh, in that the giant silk moths are not pollinators, and that is because they are not able to feed. They have no reason to visit those flowers because they don't have functioning mouth parts. So what those moths are doing is they're surviving off of fat that has been stored from when they were a caterpillar. If you look at their bodies, they have very large bodies. Um, so that all that space is for fat from when they were a caterpillar to keep those giant silk moths alive for roughly a week until they can find a mate and reproduce. So for the giant silk moths, the, the fun part of life is as a caterpillar where you get to sit around and eat all the time, which found, sounds very wonderful to me. Um, as an adult, once again, you're just trying to find a mate and reproduce and you're done. So um, 
So yeah, so you won't see the giant silk moths, you won't see the luna moths there in that common milkweed patch, but guaranteed you'll see a bunch of other moths. Uh, probably the most famous of our moth pollinators, the ones that you have most likely seen, are actually diurnal moths. Um, you know, typically we think of moths as being nocturnal, meaning they're active at night. But there is a group that is very active during the daytime, and those are the hummingbird moths. My first experience with a hummingbird moth was when I worked at Oakhurst Gardens in Muncie, Indiana. And one of our visitors came running into the building, declaring that she had just seen a hybrid between a bumblebee and a hummingbird. And so I humored the, the lady, and we went outside and looked for it. I, I doubted that what she was describing was biologically possible, but I thought, you know, I'll go look into this, see what we find. And sure enough, what she had found was a snowberry clearwing moth, which is a part of that hummingbird moth group. Snowberry clearwing moth sort of does look like a bumblebee on steroids. Uh, it's yellow and black. Uh, hovers above the flowers just like a hummingbird would. So it had the yellow and black of the bumblebee. It had the hovering capabilities of the hummingbird. So of course it was a, it was a cross between hummingbirds and bumblebees. Um, another fairly common hummingbird moth that we have here at Butterfly Ridge is the hummingbird clearwing moth which looks a whole lot like that snowberry clear wing, except the colors are different. So instead of the yellow and black, the hummingbird clear wing is more of a, oh boy, the colors are actually kind of hard to describe, more kind of a, like a, a greenish, like an olive color and maroon. A very handsome little bug. And they're a hoot to watch how they hover over the plants and just kind of zip from flower to flower. Um, so yeah, we've got the, the uh, hummingbird clearwing moth. And then actually another moth that one could argue is in that same group of the hummingbird moths is the Nessus sphinx, which uh, saw one of those yesterday on one of our bait sticks. The Nessus sphinx is actually a bee mimic. So it's kind of a dark brown body with two very bold cream-colored stripes going around it. Um, and once again, it's another one of those who will hover above flowers and feed just like a hummingbird would. And that's the Nessus Sphinx. Realize all of these um, hummingbird moths that I've mentioned technically fall into the Sphinx moth group which is a, a very wonderful group of moths, a lot of uh, diversity, a lot of really neat designs. If you would like to learn more about moths, Mothing Zone here at Butterfly Ridge starts uh, actually today, starts tonight uh, from 9 p.m. until midnight. What the Mothing Zone is, is we actually have mothing stations set up throughout Butterfly Ridge. And tonight we will most likely be using the stations in our prairie and at the eastern edge of the prairie. And um, 
We hang sheets up at our stations. These stations look sort of like wooden football goalposts. And we'll hang a sheet in the middle of it. And then we have a high-powered mercury vapor light on one side of the crossbar. We have an ultraviolet light on the other side. And then we power it all with a little portable Honda generator. And once again, the lights normally turn on around 9 p.m. And we usually stop things at midnight. Although I do have some friends, shout out to my mothing mavericks, who I think would prefer that I kept the lights on until 2 or 3 in the morning. But uh, I'm a businessman. I need to get some sleep too. But um, once again, here at Butterfly Ridge at these mothing stations, we have documented close to 800 species over the last five or six years. The last time we turned on the lights, it's just a little private mothing with myself and a couple of our past interns, we actually documented 106 species, uh, and that was on May 24. So that's actually a pretty good number for, for so early in the season. And so once again, that's every Saturday night except the first Saturday of the month, and that's June through August. So our first Mothing Zone event will be tonight, starting at 9 o'clock. Now one thing to keep in mind, rain does cancel this event. Um, while the moths actually, to an extent, come out in the rain, my high-powered moth uh, mercury vapor lights, they do not come out in the rain because they're too expensive to replace. So rain cancels, but um, I absolutely encourage you to come uh, check out our mothing zone, uh, especially if you think all moths are just the little gray annoying guys that, that buzz you when you're trying to get in the back door at night. Uh, here in southeast Ohio, we have some amazing-looking moths. So let me encourage you to come join us. Next week on Ridge Notes, we will have Marcus Brandon Gray, and he uh, is in charge of an organization called Sustainable Monarch. And then he's also uh, in the middle of a fundraising event called the Butterflying World Series, and that will be in the middle of July. So tune in next week as we talk to Marcus Brandon Gray, find out about his Monarch organization, and find out exactly what this Butterflying World Series is. So until next week, take good care of those pollinators. Ridge Notes is sponsored by Butterfly Ridge Butterfly Conservation Center in the Hocking Hills of Southeast Ohio. Open every day but Tuesday, April 15th through October 15th.